Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Today, I can confess to you that I am saved. Think about that just a moment. Some of the greatest words we could ever utter, I am saved. That God has done a work in our lives, that he has transformed us, that he has changed us. As someone said, we all stood condemned, and yet God interfered. And how awesome it is that God took the initiative to bring us salvation. And I pray that this morning, for those of us who are saved, for those of us who have passed from death to life, that we have come into this place and that we have sensed his spirit, that we have worshiped him this morning. And to recognize that God has given us the ability to celebrate his salvation and to speak that salvation to others. Romans chapter 10, that chapter itself captures the simple message of salvation. It reminds us why we need to be saved. It tells us the message of salvation. It tells us our response to that salvation. And also it tells us how we are to go forth and to declare that salvation to others. Romans 10 really encapsulates the message that Paul has been preaching throughout the book of Romans. I want you to hear this morning what he would have to say. And this morning, for those of us who are saved, may we celebrate and may we be challenged. But for those of you who may not have come to that saving knowledge of Christ, I pray that today would be the day when you would ask him to come into your life and that you would surrender yourself to him. Listen to what Paul says to the Romans. Beginning in verse 1, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of God as he speaks it to us about this idea of salvation and how every individual needs salvation. Now, we pick up in Romans 10 today, but basically what we see in chapters 9, 10, and 11 
is Paul dealing with the nation of Israel and how God wants even his nation to come to salvation. Those three chapters really comprise this idea of God loving his people and wanting them to see the personal experience of Christ in their lives. These opening verses as he talks about Israel, he talks about their need for salvation. Now think of how incredible that is. That the nation of Israel, the chosen nation of God, the nation that had been used for all of these years, how they needed to know Christ. That tells me that if the chosen people, the nation of Israel, needed to know who Christ was, it tells me that all of us need Christ. It speaks to me. It reminds me that we do not come to salvation because of our ethnicity or our national heritage. It means we don't come to Christ just because we happen to belong to a certain group of individuals. If anyone should have been grandfathered into salvation, you would think it'd be the Israelites, right? If there would, if there would be a clause somewhere, a clause that said you can be grandfathered in, you would think it would be the nation of Israel. But here... Listen to what Paul says. Paul says that my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel overall, that's what he's talking about, overall, the nation, the people that had known God in the past, that they would be saved. He said something very incredible in the the previous chapter about this nation of Israel. In chapter 9, verse 1, He said, I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh. Listen to what Paul said there. Paul said, I want my fellow countrymen to know who Jesus is. Christ is. And this is the statement he makes. He said, if in some way I could give my life up for them, if I could be condemned, if I could take their punishment on me, I would willingly do it. Isn't that great love? Isn't that an amazing statement for Paul to make? To know that His countrymen, despite their ethnicity, despite their national heritage, they did not know the God of heaven. They needed salvation in their hearts and lives. And Paul said, I would be willing to do whatever it takes, even giving up my own self, if they could come to salvation. Do you love your family that much? Do you love your fellow countrymen that much? That you would pray. Now, I know, I know none of us can give ourselves up for other people's salvation. If we could, many of us would do it in a heartbeat, would we not? To see our children come to Christ, to see our grandchildren come to Christ, we would willingly offer ourselves. But we recognize, we recognize That we can't do that. That salvation does not come just because of 
national identity, family identity. Salvation has to come, as we'll see in a moment, as an individual makes a personal choice to follow Christ. But I will say that we should be burdened. We should be burdened for our family members. We should be burdened for our countrymen. We should be burdened for those around the world that do not know Christ. We should be burdened. We should recognize that salvation does not come just because of our heritage. Now, many of us can boast of good heritages in our life. Now, you know, as I think back, I had a family that took me to church pretty much every Sunday. I was with somebody. It might have been my grandparents or my parents, but I was with somebody going to church. Now, I'm not going to boast totally of my heritage because I have tried to climb the tree and I have found some things I didn't like, so I just went ahead and jumped out of the tree. There's some limbs you just don't need to crawl out on. You know what I'm talking about? But I am thankful that I had individuals in my family that loved Christ, loved the Lord. They took me to church to worship and to learn more about Him. I'm thankful for that. And in so many ways, I'm indebted to them. But friends, I'm not saved today because I came from a godly family. I'm not saved today simply because my mother followed Christ. I'm, I'm not saved today simply because my grandmother. Now, they've had the influence. I, I recognize that. I'm not discounting their influence. But I'm going to say to you, there had to be a moment where I came and accepted Jesus as my Savior. I could not ri ride my grandmother's coattails into heaven. And she had some long coattails. We might actually call those dusters. Is that what you call those things? She had a great influence, but I cannot be saved just because of their decision. I had to make a personal decision in my life. And that's what Paul is saying. He's talking about the need of salvation. And he says, look, even the people of Israel, the chosen people, they cannot just enter into heaven because they belong to a collective group called Israel. They're not going to be saved just because they are part of that corporate body. Back in chapter 9, chapter 9 is all about the sovereignty of God, how God is in control. I've got to go back and preach on it one day. Uh, I plan on sticking around here a long time, so I'll go back and preach on it one day. But it is a beautiful passage about God's sovereignty and how God was working through the nation of Israel and how God in, verse, in chapter 11 will tell us that he will keep his promise in so many ways to fulfill his plan in the nation's life. After chapter 8 that we looked at last week, so many people probably had questions because God had said he'd work all things out. Remember last week we said that God would work out our stuff and that God would work out our salvation, that God would work out our security? And some people would probably think, well, how about Israel? God, how did you work through them? And, and even as he spoke in chapter 9, Paul reminded them that there were people that claimed to be Israelites who simply did not know God, even in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they might belong to a group ethnically, but they did not know God. There were many 
who are stiff-necked and obstinate. He'll say this later on in verse 21. He says, but to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. There have been many times when people had not followed Christ and, and not followed even Yahweh God of the Old Testament. So their salvation did not come by belonging to a corporate group of individuals. It did not come through ethnicity. And let me move back here just a moment. I know I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but you and I, we do not come to salvation just because our name is on a church roll. Now, I am thankful to be a part of a church like Temple. I love being a part of this family. But my salvation does not come because my name is written down on some record in the office. My salvation comes because I have experienced life and transformation through Jesus Christ. As the Holy Spirit convicted me and spoke to me and I was able to come and confess Him as Lord. That's how I came to salvation. It is not just because we belong to a corporate group, to a family, to a church, to a nation. You know, as we travel overseas, so often we'll go into other nations and they will assume because you're American that you're Christian. Overseas, at least. We certainly know better, right? Just because you are an American does not mean you are a Christian. And here, Paul says that salvation is not based on ethnicity or on national heritage. It's not even based on sincerity. It's not even based on sincerity. We need salvation because sincere people can be sincerely wrong. Notice again what he says here. He says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He says, they have a zeal. They are sincere They are trying to do everything they can to follow the law. So don't miss their sincerity. But sincerity does not lead to salvation. There are a lot of sincere people across our nation and across this world. And they sincerely hold religious beliefs. They sincerely hold these spiritual ideas. But that doesn't mean they're saved. It means... That they're sincerely wrong. You know, I can sincerely hold that lemon icebox pie is good for you. (laughs) See that? I even have others in my crowd who believe that sincerely. I trust. I think if I eat so many lemon icebox, I will be healthy. I can sincerely believe that. I can sincerely practice that. I can sincerely gain more weight than you could ever imagine through that. Sincerity is not enough for salvation. Well, Brother Reggie, I think these people are sincere in what they believe. That's, I appreciate, I applaud their sincerity. But if you sincerely believe a lie, if you sincerely believe a falsehood, You do not experience salvation. And that's what Paul is saying. 
Paul says, I pray that they would be saved. They are sincere, but they are not saved. We, we see people all around us every day who are sincere, but they are not saved. And my brothers and sisters, do not be lulled into this deception that Satan would bring. This deception that they are saved. Do not buy into it. They cannot be saved outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes unto the Father except through me. He is the only way. No matter what the culture says to you, no matter what everyday experience, understand there is one way. It does not come through ethnicity. It does not come through sincerity. It does not come through self-righteousness. For Christ, he says in verse 3, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. They say, as long as we keep doing what we think we should do, and we look right, and we are following the law that God has given us, we're okay. Remember, we've already studied it here in the book of Romans. Paul says, no one is okay on their own. Because all fall short. Even the best of us who try to strive. Now, now people out there, they may look at us and they may think, they may think we've got it all together. But we know that we are flawed people before a holy God. We are flawed. And we cannot be good enough to attain our salvation. So self-righteousness will not bring salvation. Self-effort will not bring salvation. Verse 6, it says, But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven. Now, this is a quote from Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 12 and 13. It is a quote from Moses who says, basically, don't try to go pursue God up in heaven to bring him down. Don't try, in Deuteronomy 30, Moses will say, don't try to just swim a sea in order to discover the will of God for you. In Psalm 107, he says, do not, the psalmist says, do not try to descend just simply to bring God back up. He said, you ain't got to do that. It's not about all that self-effort. He says, the word is near in your mouth and in your heart. There are so many people that are trying in their own efforts to find God. They're trying to bring him down or bring him up. or They're trying to do everything that's within their energy to find the will of God. Listen, this is the great message of the Scripture and the great message of the God we serve. We don't have to try to bring him down. He's already come down. He took the initiative. We, we don't have to try to cross some sea to, follow, to find the will of God for our lives. The will of God has already been demonstrated through his word. And Moses, back in the day, and now Paul, as he reiterates it, he says that the word is near. It is right there in your mouth, and it is in your heart. You can know the presence of God. In Christ Jesus. So, self-effort 
will not bring salvation. We all need salvation. That's what he says in those opening verses. We all need salvation. Now, I've got to move on just a little bit. Last night, somebody uh, texted me and asked me what my scripture would be, and I gave it to them. And uh, one of the young men who was reading it afterwards said, he's going to cover all this tomorrow? (laughs) He still came. Proud of you, James. Proud you're here this morning. So I need to move on, though, very quickly. The message of salvation. The message of salvation is what? The message of salvation is Jesus Christ. It is the good news. It is the gospel. The good news is what? The good news is that God did send his one and only son on our behalf. The good news is that Jesus died and rose again. Notice that message is captured in verses 9 and 10 in particular. He says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you understand that Jesus Christ died, he died in atoning death. It was on the cross that he died for you and he died for me. You see, he did something we could not do. He fulfilled the obligations that were necessary for a perfect life, perfect ministry, and a perfect atonement. Back in verse 4, it said, For Christ is the end of the law. Some translations may say the culmination of the law, the fulfillment of the law. In other words, he completed all the necessary tasks. He demonstrated himself holy and perfect. That's what verse 4 means. And then he died for us. That's the good news. That he died and he rose again. I still think that we've heard this message so much that we miss sometimes the marvelous nature of it. Our Lord, Jesus himself, died physically human his human body he died and yet the central aspect of our faith the central piece of the power of God was demonstrated when he rose again and through his death and through his resurrection we have life That is the message we take to people. Yes, that Jesus Christ died for them and that he rose again, that he lives today. It's not just a message for Easter. It is a message every day of our lives. It makes a difference. The message is that Jesus is Lord. That is the earliest confession of faith. I've shared this before. That early believers, they had to stand and they had to commit and they had to say, Jesus is Lord. For the Jews, that was important. That word Lord, it was synonymous with the Yahweh of the Old Testament. For the Jewish mind, a monotheistic mind who believed in one God, to be able to say that Jesus is Lord and to put him on the same level as Yahweh, 
Well, that in and of itself should speak to us about the divinity, the deity of Jesus Christ, that he was God. He's Lord. But also notice here he's writing to the Romans. And while I think there was a significant number of Jewish believers who were there in that church, I believe also that there were a lot of Gentiles. And when they saw this idea that Jesus is Lord, they put it in the context of Rome, specifically the city. Because for all of their lives, they had understood that Caesar was Lord. As a matter of fact, as Caesar would make his way through any town in Rome, but especially the city of Rome itself, as he would make his way, people would shout, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is the one who's over all. And while Jesus did not come simply for political reasons, Jesus did come to establish a new kingdom. And the people of God, those early Christ followers, they understood that. And instead of shouting, Caesar is Lord, you got it. Every time they heard it, they would shout, No, Jesus is Lord. He is the one that is in charge. He is the one that is over all. He is Lord. And when you come to salvation in your life, you have to confess that He is Lord. Some years ago, I was there at First Baptist Church of Zachariah. I had to work with a committee on forming a new constitution and bylaws. Uh, a couple of our friends from Zachary here this morning, they probably remember some of those conversations back then. It was early on in my ministry. We were crafting things. We were putting them together. You can imagine a Baptist committee and how it works, debating every little word that we put out. We finally were satisfied with a finished document we brought it to the church, put it out for the church to read, ask for feedback and comments. I know we probably shouldn't have done that, but we did. This dear, well-intentioned lady, wonderful lady, came to me and she said, Brother Reggie, I think there is something wrong with this and wrong with the statement that is made in our confession. And I said, in our confession? I said, yes, in there it says something that we believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior and people must accept him as Lord and Savior. I said, and there's something wrong with that. And she said, yes, I think there is because I think it should be that we should accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. <laughs> now, again, I've been dealing with Baptists some time now, so I know we can... But she actually had a theological point behind it. Because she began to explain to me that we accept Jesus as Savior before we accept Him as Lord. That we know Him as Savior before we truly know Him as Lord. Now, this sounds logical. But as I stood there and talked to her, I recognized... As logical as it sounds, it is not biblical. 
Yes, we accept Him as Savior. But we also accept Him as Lord. As a matter of fact, you cannot experience true salvation. I do not believe the Bible teaches you can experience true salvation without confessing Him as Lord as well. When you come to accept Jesus, you accept Him just as He is. He is both Savior and Lord. When you commit your life to him, what you are saying is, Jesus, I believe you're above and over all things. And Jesus, I want you to be over my life. You are the Lord. And I submit to you. I surrender to you. That is true salvation. That is what the disciples preached. That you must confess that Jesus is Lord. The response, obviously. The message is the good news. And the message is for everybody, whoever believes. Verse 12, he said, There's no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. In other words, it is available to everybody, to all who would come. The response, the desired response, well, the desired response is faith and trust that we believe in our heart. I say again, it is much different than just some intellectual assent that we just believe in our head. Yes, we know that Jesus died and rose. We got all the historical facts. We, it's more than that. James says that the demons believe that there's a God. It's more than just saying, yeah, I believe that there's God and I believe that there's a Jesus and I believe that he did these things. It's more than that. When you talk about faith and trust, you are talking about absolute dependence and surrender to him that you come and say you are lord and i am surrendering my life to you i want to follow you i want to be a part of your family and your kingdom i want your priorities priorities to become my priorities whoever believes on him shall not be put to shame. Verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How awesome is that? The whoever. That means you. That means me. He says that if you call on me, and again, you call out of a heart of faith and trust, that you confess me, that you follow me, if you give me your all, if you do this, you will be saved. You will be saved. Now, so many of us deal with different security issues in our lives from time to time. I talk with people that experience doubt. Well... According to what John teaches us later on, God is greater than our hearts. Even when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts to fulfill his work in us. But I also remind people that God will always tell you the truth and he will always keep his promise. There are a lot of us that will let you down. And there are probably moments that this preacher will let you down. But I want you to hear this day that you can always count 
on God's word to you. And if he says, whoever calls upon my name will be saved, you can write it down. Salvation will come to your heart, and that salvation will keep you for all of eternity. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, identifies with him, shall be saved. That is the response don't have time to go through, but those last few chapters says there's some people, even in the nation of Israel again, those last few verses of the chapter, that is, there are some of those who have stood against him and disobeyed willfully. And there are some today who will still do that. Verse 16 said, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. In other words, there's still some who will reject and reject and reject. And yet, God has offered us salvation that if we will come to him and embrace him we can know salvation the way salvation is delivered well through the word of god as it is spoken by us so often the primary method verse 14 again tremendous passage may have to come back and preach on this again one day just kind of flesh it out in and of itself. But listen. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Notice basically what he says here. He gives us the progression. There are those who are called and sent. How beautiful are the feet. A passage from Isaiah that was initially spoken to individuals who were looking for a release from bondage. People that were looking and longing to experience freedom once again, to come out of the Babylonian captivity and to experience life. That passage was originally spoken to them. And now Paul borrows that as the Spirit of God inspires him. And he says, how beautiful are the feet of those people who take the good news, that take the glad tidings. They're called and they're sent. Now, when we look at verse 14 and we see how shall they hear without a preacher, so many of us just naturally say, well, he's talking about we need some more preachers. Well, I'm always thankful for more preachers. I'm always thankful for more preachers. Always thankful for people that God calls into ministry. Seems like though in Mississippi there's abundance of them. Brother BK, I was down in Baker one time. They asked me where I was from, and I said, Mississippi. So they could tell that by my accent. They said, Mississippi. One of the guys down there says, only thing I've ever known to come out of Mississippi, Baptist preachers and cockaburs, he said. <laughs> Y'all got a bunch of them. I said, you're probably right. Probably about as meaningful in both ways, you know. A lot of preachers. And, and, and nothing wrong. I think 
awesome to have pastors? This here is not the professional preacher, though, he's talking about. This is not a group of professionals. This is everyone who would bring the good tidings. And in the New Testament, in the New Testament, they could never imagine just a professional group of individuals charged with taking the task of sharing the gospel. In the New Testament, they believe that if you experience the true work of Christ in your life, that the Spirit came to live within you, they believe that you are compelled by the love of Christ to go tell other people. So in other words, how are they to hear if it had not been for you as you go to testify of the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is in you? But if you testify, and they hear, and they believe, and they call, they experience the salvation of Christ Jesus. There are so many great things I do as a pastor. I love being a pastor. I love the local church. I love getting to be around other believers. I love, I love making the hospital visits when I can. I love, this is going to be strange, but I love being in the office and doing some things. When I, I love digging into the Word and studying. But perhaps there is no greater feeling. There is no greater experience for me than to be able to sit down with a person and share with them the good news and lead them to accept Christ Jesus as their Savior and Lord. To know that they go from death to life right before my eyes. And my friends, that does not have to be a pastoral duty shared by me alone. That can be an experience that you have as you recognize that there is a need for salvation and that the message of salvation is Jesus Christ and that the only way that people can come is by responding in faith. As you recognize that and then go out and just testify in a loving, truthful way of who Jesus is. You can know what it's like to lead somebody else to Christ. How will they hear? How will they hear? How will they come to believe? How will they come to call if somebody, if somebody doesn't tell them the good news that they can know life through Jesus Christ? Today, we as believers, may we commit ourselves to that message. For those of you in this place that have never truly accepted, you've never experienced the work of God in your life, you've never come to salvation, do not put it off. Today, today is the day of salvation. Commit your life to Christ. You come during this invitation. You let us help you hear God's word to you and respond. Let's pray. Father, We again thank you 
Lord, for the basic message of salvation that you have given us. We thank you that you did something for us we could not do on our own. We thank you for sending your one and only son for us. And God, this morning in this place, as we have felt your presence, as we have felt your spirit move, God, I pray for those of us who are believers to commit ourselves, Lord, to lift up our unsaved friends and family members. Lord, that today you would give us the opportunity to be the verbal witnesses in their lives. Lord, help us to bring the good tidings of what you have done through your son, Lord Jesus. Whether it's overseas, nationally, or right here in our community and in our homes, help us to be the witnesses we should. And God, right now, I pray. Lord, I pray for that one which is lost in this place. And God, we believe that through this moment of invitation, that this is a moment where eternity itself can be touched. And God, I pray that you would give courage to that individual, that they would come and they would give their life to you. They would trust you. They would confess that you are Lord, that they would just sell out to you this morning here in this place. Father, do your work now. In Jesus' name, amen.